All right, well, it's still morning, so I can say good morning. Hope everyone had a good weekend. I know that uh, I know that the guys um, were able to meet yesterday, and that was really good. Um, very helpful, and just, I don't know, it's encouraging just to kind of get together and talk and to discuss the things that are going on here and encourage each other. And, you know, even that small gathering, I feel like, was stirring each other to love and good works. Um, and... I'm very thankful for that, and this morning it's been great to be able to worship our God. That's been our focus uh, from the very beginning, and uh, we trust that if we worship Him with a heart and in a way that God uh, desires, that He is pleased with us in that. So uh, we have no reason to think differently. That's what we've seen ever since the beginning of people worshiping God, is that um, they do so with a heart that is geared towards pleasing Him in a way that He wants and he seems to accept that. It's, inter- it's interesting that that is uh, the case because, and that made those comments because it's really what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, if you want to, you can turn to Genesis 4. We're going to be looking at Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel doesn't have a lot said about him, so we're mainly talking about Cain, actually. And I want to pose a question for our lesson. And that question is, how will you be accepted by God? Um, and that might seem like an easy question to answer for some and for others that might seem like a very difficult question to answer because um, they don't feel like they can be accepted by God Uh, they have guilt that has just wrecked their heart and they feel like there's just no way and then there are other people who find it very easy to get over the things that they've done and they think well of course I'm going to be accepted by God because that's just who God is. God is accepting. God is love. So therefore, no matter what, I'm accepted by God. Well, I kind of want to challenge both of those lines of thinking by asking this question. Um, so I guess the, the first thing I want to do is just read through Genesis 4. And we're going to read 1 through... Uh, we'll go ahead and read 1 through 15. And what I want you to do is I want you to go ahead and be asking yourself the question, how... Can I be accepted by God? But to get to that point, let's start with Cain and just say, was Cain accepted by God? And if not, why not? And if so, how so? So let's go ahead and start with Genesis 4, uh, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. 
And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So we start with Adam and Eve in Genesis 4. And it says that, Adam knew his wife Eve, so he went into her, and uh, that they um, had a child, and his name was Cain. So Cain's the firstborn. One of the things we know when we study the Old Testament is that the firstborn is the one that seems more blessed. Uh, the firstborn gets the inheritance kind of thing, uh, the birthright, and all of those things. Um, and so Cain has that to look forward to, I would, I would assume. And it says that Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel is his younger brother. Abel is a keeper of sheep. They both come to the Lord with gifts, with offering. They both go to, to give glory to God. Cain brings uh, f- fruit from the ground, which makes sense. He's a tiller of the ground. So he brought that which was in his care, and he brought that. I don't want to say it was easy, but it just makes sense. And by the same token, Abel did the same thing. He brought from which wasn't within his care. It's kind of the same as in like, hey, whatever your, you know, is your work, that's what you do to the Lord, right? That's, I mean, that's what you uh, offer up to him. Um, but there was a problem with uh, the gift, it seems. It says that God did not respect or regard Cain's sacrifice. And it says that in verse 5. Now, the question is, do we know why God did not respect Cain's sacrifice? And I would say the answer is no, because we don't, we don't know for sure. You know, we can assume that God gave them instructions on what specifically to give, but it's just not recorded. We could also make a point, I think other people make a point, well, Abel gave from the firstlings or the firstborn of his flock. Well, I don't know if that necessarily means that Cain brought the scraps from the fruit of the ground, because the only time firstborn is mentioned is when you're talking about the firstborn child or the firstborn of a herd or flock. That, that word is not really used with anything else. So I don't even know if it would be appropriate to say that Cain brought the firstlings of the fruit of the ground. That's just not how it's phrased in, in, in the Old Testament. Well, so what is the problem? Why did God not respect Cain's sacrifice? Well, we know something about the sacrifice. Well, what was wrong with it? Well, I would say that based on what Hebrew says that Kelly uh, read earlier, it must be a faith issue. It must be an issue of faith in some way. Now, whether it was faith that led Cain to bring a sacrifice that was not pleasing, or it was faith after the fact, or like the the actions proved his faith, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Basically what I'm saying is either the sacrifice was wrong because he went against what God told him to do, or his sacrifice was not pleasing because God knew his heart. And then we see the actions that confirm his heart in a little bit. Um, I don't blame Cain for what he brought to the Lord because I think it makes sense. I think it makes just as much sense, and I think there was most likely just as much effort for what he did compared to what Abel did. Now, it does mention that Abel not only brought the firstborn, but it said, um, and of their fat. So I don't know if he like 
what that means, really. I don't know if he took extra care in preparing what he brought to the Lord or what. Regardless, I, I just think it's, it's the same type of thing. Cain brought what was just natural for him to bring. Abel brought what was natural for him to bring. God respected Abel's and did not respect Cain's. That had an effect on Cain. It said he was angry, and he said his countenance fell. I want to focus on this a little bit because I think that the idea of your countenance falling is something that is important with um, answering the question, how you be accepted by God. There are a few passages that I just want to mention. One is in Psalm 11, verse 7. It says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. It's almost like the the Lord's countenance, the Lord's, I, I think another word, I could be wrong about this. Um, maybe I'm pulling a Kelly and using a word that doesn't apply, I don't know. But his visage, like the way he uh, seen, the way he looks, you know, just the... Uh, the way he kind of presents himself. I mean, the countenance falling, I mean, I could probably, uh, you know, come up with some emojis that you'd be like, oh, that's someone's countenance that's fallen, you know. Uh, we know it when we see it. Uh, so it says the Lord's countenance upholds, the, uh, beholds the upright, is what it sounds like. So the Lord has a countenance, but it's geared towards a pleasing countenance, towards those that are upright, those that are righteous. Those that are not righteous, the Lord's countenance falls, I guess you could say. Uh, but it's not the same as Cain's falling. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. So you could have a sad countenance, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It could be just natural, and it makes the heart better, it says. Really what, what I think we're talking about is someone that doesn't feel uh, accepted by God, and therefore, they're down and discouraged by that. And it sinks them into an even lower pit. Let's go to uh, Psalm 42. Turn over Psalm 42. We're going to read a few verses from, from this passage. Because it brings up countenance a couple of times here. Psalm 42. Let's begin in verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls into deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the, of, of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So this is an interesting, uh, if you just look at verse 5, uh, 6, and then 11. I could be wrong, uh, so someone tell me afterwards if I am wrong about this. But it's almost like an, an internal audit, so to speak, of your soul and your countenance. It's like, it seems like he's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Maybe this is just from God saying this. They're like, why are you cast down? 
But I, it sounds like it's from like a person saying this about themselves. Like they, they feel this within them and they're saying, why are you cast down? Like, why am I feeling this way? Why is this happening? The answer is hope in God. That's what he gives in verse 5 and verse 11. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So what I see here is that when your countenance falls, hope in God, praise him, and he will lift up your countenance. This is not something that any of us are really able to do all on our own. Like I will just determine to have a better countenance when I feel like I've displeased God. No, that's not really going to work. Like you need to hope in God and he will lift up your countenance. It's God's countenance that regards the upright. Therefore, when we are upright, we feel that, we, we understand that, and then our countenance is lifted up. That's how it seems to me. And obviously, Psalm is a lot more feelsy than uh, a lot of other passages, which is probably one of the... I, I don't understand a lot of things in Psalms. Not that I'm not an emotional person, but I'm not... Obviously, earlier I said I didn't understand how Ecclesiastes was poetry. I mean, Robin would understand this better than I would as far as just you know, the poetic things and, and the poetic nature of things. But that's what it seems to me is he's saying, I feel this way because of things going on in my life or because I'm just not doing what God would have me do. I feel a certain way and there's like a battle here and I don't know, there's tension. What do I do with that? His answer is hope in God. Turn to the Lord and your countenance will be lifted up. Was well, that what Cain does? When Cain's countenance falls, when he feels angry and down, based on his own actions, based on what he did, whether he knew it was right or wrong, something just was not right there, there's something missing, does he turn to God? And, and the answer is, is no. Um, the Lord says to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? The option is still there for Cain to be accepted and pleasing to God. There's no reason for us to think that Cain's countenance falls for a wrong reason or necessarily for a jealous reason. I think that really on a fundamental level, he gave something to God. God did not like it, and so he feels bad about it. Have you ever given a gift that someone was just like, oh, okay. I have a friend at work that uh, he just proposed and got engaged to his girlfriend. It's a great thing. But he said that for her birthday, he got her... Um, I think it was an Apple Watch, but she thought the ring was coming already. So this was just like a, a month ago, I think, or something like that. So he, he goes and he, and he gives her this gift and she's like getting excited because, you know, I don't know the package that Apple Watch comes in, but I would imagine that it doesn't, you know, that it, it kind of looks like something special, some jewelry's in there, you know. And it's probably a lot bigger than what a ring box is going to be. So she's like, whoa, you know, this is going to be amazing. And so she gets it. And I mean, Apple Watch is a nice gift. I mean, I, I mean if you want to give me an Apple Watch, I will gladly take it. So she opens it. And then she's like, oh, okay. You know, and, and he was like, did you not want that? You know? And I, I don't think she said, well, I was expecting the ring. But I mean, that was clearly what was going on. When you give something to somebody and they don't act all like, this is exactly what I wanted. Thank you so much. I couldn't, I, I mean, how did you know? <laughs> when that doesn't happen, it really makes you question a lot of things. And I think that's what happens with Cain. He questions a lot right now. And I'm not saying I pity him necessarily, because I still believe something was missing. Some part of faith was missing. And, and we see that in what happens next. 
Because God is very clear. Something bad is waiting for you. He says, sin lies at the door. If you do not do well, sin is right there waiting for you. This is the most important part of the story to me. Because it says that Cain could still do well even after his sacrifice was not accepted. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. I don't know if Cain had sinned yet. I don't know if the sacrifice that he gave that was not accepted by God, or not, not pleasing to God, was sinful, necessarily. Because he says, sin's waiting at the door for you. So it makes it seem like he hasn't gone down that path yet, but it's close by. I think this is where we find ourselves the easiest in the story. Each of us find, will find times where we realize that something we're doing is not pleasing to God. Or something we're not doing is what God requires of us. We find that there are things that God wants to see from us that he will regard and respect that we are either giving to him from a wrong heart or we are not giving to him the way God would want us to. And what do we do in those times? Maybe it's also a problem of comparing ourselves to someone else because there's no way that Cain doesn't see or hear or know that God regards Abel's sacrifice, but not his. It's usually the people that we're closest to that can cause us to think less of ourselves because they just, they're just so much better than we are. They seem people like them better. They give them praise and recognize things they do and not what I do. You know, I don't really, someone that I don't like, that just frustrates me when that happens. I don't really care. Someone that I'm really close to, someone that I care about, that I'm with all the time. If people think so highly of them and I don't really get a lot of talk, people aren't really talking about me the same way, that really can affect me. So I think that's what we see here. But sin was just waiting there for him. I, I, I think it's very clear that um, the devil just waits for an opportunity to pounce like a roaring lion. Um, we get that from the New Testament as well. And he, he found his opportunity here. One day, it seems like Cain and Abel are out in a field or they're somewhere, they're just talking. I don't know how much, how much time had passed, but this is where Cain decides to prove God to be right, really. He proves who he is. He takes advantage of Abel. He rises up against him, and he kills him. Cain went away and carried on as usual. He didn't hope in God. He didn't turn to God. He didn't do what we see uh, the psalmist say in Psalm 42. And eventually he just couldn't take it anymore. He rose up and killed Abel. And there doesn't really seem to be any regret for the sin. Like he murdered his brother. It's not like there was a ton of people around to, you know, he only has his brother at this point. Uh, there must be a few other people. I mean, we know at least two, Adam and Eve, but I don't know who else is out there. Um, I mean, can you imagine being so angry and think so little of yourself that you're willing to take the life of one of the only people that you have to connect with? Like, that's some, that's some sadistic stuff. I mean, that's, some, that's a scary thing for someone's heart to get so uh, bitter and angry. And I really think it's, he looks at himself and thinks so little of himself at this point. And that's not because God just didn't regard his, his sacrifice. 
I mean, that's that's what we see how it uh, kind of starts it. But it's his view of himself before God that is the real problem. I don't know if Cain believed he could be accepted by God. And I don't think it's because God didn't regard a sacrifice. I think it's Cain's own problem. Because God flat out said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That's God inviting him. Do well and I will accept you. I don't know if Cain didn't want to do the thing God wanted him to do. Or if Cain just didn't believe that. But when, when God came to him and he asked him, where is your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, it's not like there's a lot of other people that you're like, supposed to look after here. Um, he's your younger brother. You know, if, if you came up to me and said, hey, where's, uh, you know, I live with two other guys, William and Corey. If you said, where's William? I might not know at that exact moment. I'm like, well, he's probably doing this. I don't, I don't know for sure. Uh, we have different lives, okay? Like he's going over here doing his thing. I'm over here doing my thing. But generally, we kind of know what's going on in each other's lives. Um, there's not much of a, an excuse for Cain to not know where his brother is or know what he's doing. This, I think this just shows even more so the lack of regret that he has. Then God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So then he curses and he, he punishes Cain. And Cain says, this punishment is too much for me. I, I can't take this. It's greater than I can bear. And then he says, surely someone's going to kill me. Because they're going to know everything that's going on. Like I'm, I'm going to wind up dying because of this. And, and then God's, well, I'm not going to let that happen. Like, I mean, surely. I, I, and he just gives him his word. Whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And he sets a mark on Cain. It's almost like, don't touch this guy. Because he's still going through punishment. This guy is set apart for punishment now. One of the interesting things to me as well, when you look at what he says in verse 14... Um, excuse me, uh, verse 11 and 12, where God punishes him. He, he's cursed from the earth and it says that he's going to till the ground and it's no longer going to yield its strength. And then he sends him out and he says, a fugitive and vagabond, you shall be on the earth. That, I don't know why, but that made me think of chapter three. If you go back to chapter three and the two specific curses there that I, I thought of was, if you look at what God says to Adam and the struggle he's going to have with tilling the ground and working the ground, it's very similar. But also, look at how God sends the devil out. It's like, you're going to leave and you're going to go in your belly, okay? You're just going to, you know, slither on the face of the earth, okay? I, that's almost the same thing he says to Cain here. Go out of my presence and you're just going to be a vagabond on the earth, okay? But again... With all this bad stuff happening to Cain, I still don't feel bad for him. And I think the reason is because I have great confidence that this was Cain's heart. This was Cain's doing. He had opportunity to turn to the Lord, and he chose not to. I don't know what his real issue is, but I, I do want to go to Proverbs 15 and see if maybe we can figure out. Like if I was going to – I can't clinically diagnose Cain – I wouldn't be qualified for that, and plus he's been dead for thousands of years. So uh, I'm kind of hopeless for that. But I think Proverbs 15 might open it up a little bit for us. I want to read verses 8 through 15. Proverbs 15, beginning verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. 
The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Do you remember a time where God said that he did not want the sacrifices and praise of Israel? Was that because the sacrifices and praise were not what God prescribed them to be? No. It was because they just weren't what he wanted them to be. Their heart wasn't what he wanted them to be. It was an abomination to the Lord because it was a sacrifice from a wicked person, not a wicked sacrifice. I I would say that Cain was not a faithful man. So God didn't want that sacrifice. Not that the sacrifice was wrong. Uh, that's how it seems to me. I think that's I think that's an option. Another option is that we just don't have it recorded what God actually instructed them to give. Let's continue. Verse ten: Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Cain, you hated correction. He, the Lord, just tried to correct you. He tried to admonish you, rebuke you, even. But he hated that. Well, you're going to die. You're going to be punished for that. Hell and destruction are before the Lord, so how much more the hearts of the sons of men. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. I think you could also say that maybe Cain didn't try to pursue what God wanted him to do. So therefore, he didn't have knowledge. So therefore, he didn't understand the sacrifice God wanted from him. Well, he was, he was a foolish man, it seems. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. So in Proverbs 15, 8 through 15, you have sacrifice, you have correction, you have countenance, you have knowledge and understanding. Those are all part of Cain and Abel's story, of, Cain, of the story of Cain. And the problem was that it seems like his sacrifice was not pleasing because of who he was. Uh, he didn't take correction and discipline from the Lord the way he ought to. Uh, his countenance fell, and he didn't seek the Lord for it to be lifted up. And he didn't have any understanding or knowledge, it seems, because he was a foolish man that decided that he was going to do what he wanted to do. And that led to him killing his brother. I want, I want to try to, I guess, bring this to us and see how this applies to us. Um, so I, I'll give a, a real-life story from uh, someone who I guess he used to be a friend. I, I, I need to talk to him at some point, but it's very difficult because the last three or four conversations I just did not enjoy at all. Um, there was a guy that I, I, I've known since high school. I mean, since probably 10th grade. He was a year younger than me, or maybe, maybe was, I was in 11th grade. I don't know. Uh, so since I was 16, let's say, and um, knew him in high school, knew him in college, we were all we were part of the same friend group. A um, couple people that you guys know really well know him really well, um, and uh, he always had a problem. And he would only really talk to me about this problem. I think well, maybe not talk to some other people, but as far as who was in our friend group, I think he really only talk to me about this and he felt like I could relate to him and I, I really just couldn't um, we were very similar in certain things about how we were raised uh, in our family life so he thought that we had that bond and we did the problem was his view of himself he would say all the time that you know I try so hard but 
like I can, I can never I can never be I can never be so and so. I can I can never be like him. No one ever looks at me like they look at him. I'm trying to to do good and like I mean you know and he would almost be like you know you and I I mean we, no one looks at us like that. I'm like I didn't know that no one looked at me like that. So now I'm insulted. But you know no I mean but I I, I just never thought in those terms. Like I I would get frustrated sometimes when I was younger that you know someone would. Um, attribute what I did to someone else or think like that was a great idea that Michael had you know and I was like that was my idea I don't, I don't. like I remember specifically something happening like that but it was a silly thing it wasn't anything of importance this guy my friend was saying that spiritual things like work in the kingdom I'm never going to be on so and so's level or that guy's level no one's ever going to look at me like that you know he had this terrible view of himself. So as time goes on, he, just, he determines that I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to make it to where people respect me and look up to me. And so I'm going to go do this thing that everyone's going to be like, whoa, that's probably not the wisest thing, but I'm going to make it work. I'm gonna, and he decided he was going to be a preacher, and he moved out to the West Coast. And uh, when he got married, and then he moved out to the West Coast. And all along the way, everyone was saying, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, man. I don't know if that's a good idea. We were trying, I mean, even as 17, 18, well, at that point, I guess we were like 20, 21 year olds. We were all trying to like provide him with some wisdom, maybe, you know, be like, just question it. And then you had older people that were telling him, that's not, I don't know about that. He just did it. And so at the end of it, I respected him. I was like, okay, he knew what he wanted to do and he went and did it. The problem was he did it for himself. He did not do it to be pleasing to the Lord. And that was proven out to be the case over the past several years. He wound up being unfaithful to his wife multiple times. He wound up, um, what, was once, what we once thought was he was helping to bring a church together, it turned out that like, that was just all on the surface. I mean, he himself was unchanged. There was pride and arrogance and just a terrible view of himself. So then it winds up just kind of boiling over to where you know, he has to make the decision. Is he going to try to make this right and make this relationship work and, and you know, humbly seek the Lord? Or is he just going to say, well, whatever. You know, I was, I was putting, uh, it was almost like the idea of like, well, there's nothing I could have done about it, you know. Um, the script was written already. I mean, I was, I was always going to be, uh, you know, this was always going to happen to me because I, I can't live up to the standard of these other people, you know. So he just accepted that. I remember a specific conversation with him where I was just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you saying right now? Because he was saying things like, you know, it's okay. Like, it's okay. She, she should just divorce me because then she can go on and she, she can put me away and she can go on and, and remarry. I was like, what are, you, what are you saying right now? That is your wife. You need to make this right. You are an influence over people out there. You need to make this right and like do everything within your power to fix this. That's the only way that you can, that you, that's the only option for you right now. And he was just like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think so. Well, now I don't know if he would consider himself agnostic or atheist or what, but you, you fast forward several years, he's married again. He has a couple of kids and you know, things on the surface look like they're okay in a different way. But he's never been pleasing to the Lord throughout this whole time. Because he's, not, not because nothing he did was right, because the type of man that he was was the type that he wasn't trying to really pursue the Lord and what was pleasing to him. 
He was trying to pursue his self and what pleased himself. And I can say that because you fast forward five years and you can see it. So if you want to see what Cain looks like, I'm not saying this guy is Cain. He hasn't killed someone that I know of. But um, if you want to see what the type of mentality looks like in the person in today's life, I think that's what it looks like. Yes, there were people who always had question marks about him, you know, growing up and thought, I don't know. And they were probably wrong for, for thinking that. Um, but he had a view of himself that he ought to be respected and he ought to be looked at as loftier than what other people looked at him. And he needed to be on par with people that were respected and that were thought of to be solid. I mean, you know, and, and you know, he, he should, he's the same as them. Why should they view him any differently? Well, maybe he had this feeling and maybe his countenance fell because really what he was feeling was that the Lord was not regarding him and what he was doing. And maybe the Lord wasn't regarding him because the heart and the faithfulness was missing. And I can say that just because you fast forward years and I think you, you know, people say the proof is in the pudding. Well, the biblical way of saying it is a tree is known by its fruit. So my, my encouragement to all of us today is that we need to respond to our sin appropriately. We need to respond to sin the way God would have us to humbly seek him, hope in God, turn to him, and just repent. And maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's just like, well... People aren't looking at me, and I don't feel like I'm really doing, you know, that God is really pleased with everything I'm doing. Well, maybe you don't think that's sin. Maybe it's just like your work isn't all that it could be. Don't get down about that. Don't allow that to um, push you to draw comparisons between you and another brother or sister. Simply seek the Lord. Simply seek how you can be pleasing to him and what sacrifice and praise he wants from you. This isn't a competition. If you think back to the parable of the talents, and that one guy had a lot more talents at the end. He was just as pleasing as that one who, if that one person, uh, that one guy who just had one talent had done something with it, he would have been just as pleasing to the Lord. Because remember, you bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Is, is the Lord concerned with keeping a tally of how much fruit you have necessarily? And like, oh, well, you have 30, you have 100, special room for this guy. I don't read that anywhere. The heart of faith will pursue God even after being rebuked or turned away, even after correction. A person of faith will dedicate themselves to sacrifice and praise that God accepts, but understands that they do not know all things, so therefore as they grow in their knowledge and understanding, they will see ways that they can improve and things they need to do differently. We need to look to God always know that he will accept anyone that humbly seeks him. So don't let your countenance fall, or at least not for long, and determine to lean on the Lord instead of becoming reclusive and bitter. We need to heed God's words and be watchful because sin is waiting, and our pride, our arrogance, anger, lust, whatever it is, is just there waiting for us. So my question, to come back full circle, is how will you be accepted by God? Well, you're not going to be accepted by God by forcing it. Cain tried to force something and it didn't happen. God was not accepting of that. God simply said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? I think that that would be God's question for us as well if we struggle with this. If we struggle to know if what I'm doing and how I'm living is right, isn't that the same question God would have for us? 
if you do well, will you not be accepted? And when you find times where you think that you're not being accepted, I would say you need to speak with someone that you're close to, that you consider to be wise and understanding, and they will help you with that. But more than anything, you need to hope in God and turn to him, and he will lift up, lift you up. Um, if there is anyone who feels like they have some sort of spiritual need, whether that is prayers, whether that is confessing, whether that is just saying that you're struggling with something, uh, you do have a time while we sing the song, but if you don't want to take that time now, make sure to speak with someone afterwards. There are several of us that would love to talk to you because the last thing we want to do is look out and see any one of us that is getting down, feels like they are not accepted by God, and then just de determines to leave the Lord. That's the last thing any of us want. So uh, hopefully this lesson has been helpful, and if you do have a need, won't you let us know?